Welcome back to another impactful night of the Impact Day's case release. This is episode 152. I'm your host, Ali Three for the Drone Third. Tonight's sounds are Nina Taylor, Dr. Natasha Scott, Zun Marion, Dr. Kristen E, and Play Jordan. Dr. Kristen E, please say hello to the people. Hello, everybody. And Buddy Thornton, Pastor Sanders Pro, please say hello to the people. Good evening, everybody, and uh, good evening to my esteemed panel mates. And the lovely Miss Nina Taylor, please say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be back. And Dr. Natasha Scott, please say hello to the people. Hello and good evening. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. And John Marion, please say hello to the people, sir. Uh, it's a great pleasure and honor to be amongst these wonderful people, the panel, and uh, and you as a host. Wonderful. Well, tonight's topic is being charitable toward others. Being charitable toward others. Being charitable toward others comes with clear expectations from the beginning. The expectations must be put together in the beginning foundations to halt any ethical reflections that could potentially be problematic and cause social discourse. Safety must be at the forefront, especially in dealing with community involvement, which will give room for sharing abilities and being charitable to work together, provide expectations, monitor progress, present clear information, set boundaries with time and form a sense of morale. It is essential to foster positive relationships by promoting ongoing two-way communication and involvement. We do not aim and point to blame for anyone's shortcomings, especially those who have challenges in their personal lives. Our love language must be keen and use discernment to be charitable toward others. You know, I want to go around the panel real quick. I'm so I'm just so excited about uh, the panelists tonight. But uh, let me ask a question real quick. Buddy Thornton, what was the first thought that came to your mind when you got this topic for tonight? Uh, as far as being charitable, most people don't understand the real intense meaning of the word and especially kids who need role models for that and so that's where i'm going to go when i answer my question tonight oh that was good uh nina taylor what was the first thought can your mommy got this topic tonight i thought about my years of actually running a charity and what challenges went with that i ran a charity for 13 years and every year it was a huge challenge but worth it mm, thank you for that and john monroe uh marion excuse me john marion what was the first thought that came your mind we got the topic for the night well i just couldn't believe how timely um having this invitation was to be on your show i mean i I'm the chairman of the Harmony Power Foundation, and the mission is to stand up to bullying and stand for human equality. And uh, we established the first mandated anti-bullying program in a major city in U.S. history, in the city of Elizabeth, New Jersey, with 28,000 children. And we, you and I met because I had received the Presidential Award, Lifetime Achievement Award in Las Vegas. I had to travel 
to get that if you're doing 4,000 plus hours of volunteer service. And uh, it's been years in the making. And, uh, and now Las Vegas, the entire city is considering uh, 130,000 kids having this um, Harmony Power rollout. Uh, basically, it's recognizing kids in mass volume for the good things that they're doing. And that's how you prevent bullying and mass shootings not um, all this negative reinforcement in schools, which is creating way more problems uh, in our society. So we're reversing all of that as we speak and in a profound way. So to me, that's what charity is all about. It's about giving without any expectation of a return because the giving in itself is the receiving. See, I, and I cherish every drop of what you said because to me that's your love language mm, it's gonna be good tonight uh, dr natasha scott what was the first thought that came to your mind when you got this topic um what came to my mind was uh the students that i serve all of my scholars and how much goes into that and we're as, as and we as educators are consistently giving to our scholars and um, I thought about it that way so I went through the lens of education and being charitable absolutely thank you for that and, and Dr. E Dr. Kristen Epson what was the first thought that came to your mind we got to talk for tonight when I thought the topic tonight, I think the first thing that came to my mind was this idea of communication. Uh, when you're reading through what being charitable towards others is, there's this, this really concrete concept of communication that's kind of latent throughout. And it really made me think of the power of it, how the power of a, a growth mindset, the idea of really sitting down with other people and hearing their perspectives and taking that into account and really growing in your understanding of others really expand and see the world maybe in a newer way than you had previously oh it's gonna be good tonight it's gonna be so good tonight you know as as young people growing up we have to teach our young people not to hold a grudge not to seek revenge especially when they have been shamed that word, shame, even when I hear it, I feel a certain type of way. To be shamed and then face, look in the eyes of those people or that person who shames you and forgive them. For me, that's being charitable. The lovely Miss Being Charitable, I need to, I want to pull from you. I, I want to walk with you. I want to hold your hand as you share a conversation and you guide us through the question I'm about to ask you. And that is, because mm -hmm. I, I know you're going to be transparent. You always, that's what I love about you. You're so transparent. <laughs> and you're brutally honest in a good way. <laughs> what have you faced <laughs> growing up that will make it challenging for you to be charitable toward others? Quite a bit, actually. Uh, we grew up in the projects of North Philadelphia where there was no such thing as charity. There was nobody coming around, and I, I never saw that growing up. So 
I knew really nothing about it until I was a lot older. And like I mentioned earlier, I took over a charitable organization and ran it for 13 years. When we first began it, my thinking was, okay, who has money? I need it. Let's go to the major corporations who have millions. Let's go to the mega churches. Doors slammed in our faces. We didn't become successful at this event until we learned who were the givers. The givers turned out to be the church on the corner. It has 30 members. Ten of them are family. Uh, the, the church where half the members are riding the bus there, uh, their thinking was, you reap what you sow. Uh, some of the smaller businesses were, you know, wanting to build their popularity, so they were more likely to give. The major corporations, the mega churches were so used to everybody coming to them and asking them for everything that they had this wall up when it came to those types of things. So it was very, very difficult to even get an audience with any of those people, any of those companies, any of those churches, because they're so used to everybody wanting them to give, 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 that they basically shut that down. So we kind of built, you know, I didn't want to go to a church that was struggling. I didn't want to go to a business that was new. Uh, some, somebody in the middle who can maybe do a little bit, who wants a little bit extra publicity. You know, uh, the smaller companies and the poorer people were much more compassionate about what we were doing. They were more sensitive to the needs of the children that we tried to serve with that program. So they were more likely to give. Where the larger company, the larger the company, the more, the bigger the congregation, they were like, oh, somebody else here asking us for money. Give me a break. You know, that was the attitude which really, really <laughs> it made me look at the whole situation a lot different than, you know, how to get the community behind this program, which was a great program. What we were doing was collecting coats, gloves, hats, socks, winter clothing items for children, and we'd also give them a brand new toy. The program was called Christmas for the Children. It wasn't started by me. I just took it over. It was called Christmas for the Children, and it was a one-day multiple parties around town where the kids were given all this stuff, they were fed lunch, took a picture with Santa. Uh, some of them were coming from shelters. Some of them were coming from uh, places where, you know, their family was staying, waiting for housing. Uh, these were, you know, needy children and needy families. So it was a great thing. Otherwise, most of them would not have had any type of a Christmas. Uh, other than what donations that particular shelter got, they wouldn't have had a nice brand new coat or shoes or gloves or anything like that. Uh, some of the things that this program provided. And the longer we did it, you know, the more popular it became and the more we were able to, you know, pull from the community. But I learned, you know, going to a major corporation, uh, going to a huge mega church with your handout is a waste of time, which make me not want to support them. You know, that's what, it, that's what it did. It created this wall from us to them. Like, you can't help us, we're not going to help you. And of course, I'm talking about uh, the radio station which uh, spearheaded this program. So 
what I learned is that the more a person has, the less likely they're going to just give it to you. That's what I learned. You see, and that was so important what you said. What I got from that was I heard in all that your love language. Your love language is for the poor and unfortunate. And for me, that is so profound because that's even biblical. Not to afflict mm -hmm. an orphan or a widow. That's that that resonates in my spirit. And I have to go to John Marion for this because he, he's a he's a martial arts expert. And based off what you just heard, sir, what's your thoughts as it relates to what you heard and what and your expertise in martial arts and and well, your your background in martial arts? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I was very impressed with what uh, Nina was sharing, um, you know, her experience. And, and I'd say there's a lot of truth to it. Um, I, in my martial arts career, I've dealt with the, the ones who are most impoverished, the ones who struggle financially, to the ones who are the wealthiest. Because I've had my school in Manhattan for 28 years. So I've dealt with both extremes. And I've given scholarships to those who didn't, couldn't afford it, and they became teachers so I've had the people came from very poor backgrounds teaching the wealthiest people in the city, which was in, has been incredibly profound as far as my brand. It's called Harmony by Karate, and uh, it's a healing approach. It's teaching leadership, it's teaching empathic and inclusive leadership. And even my lead teacher is African-American and transgender, which is, you know, a very unique uh, thing when you're living that kind of leadership as an example for these other people who are the people who have tens of millions or hundreds or billionaires and they're coming into us but that to see how people should really lead and we're using martial arts as a vehicle. That being said, that's just one part of what I've done. But what I've really done is I've traveled the United States to see what was going on with the bullying crisis. So I would go into neighborhoods that people would not normally not want to walk into. And I and the reason why I was able to do it confidently is because I had, you know, it come from a situation when I was very young and my mother, you know, had was addicted to drugs and we were on the streets of the city and homeless at times. So I came from a struggling past and then I was kind of saved by my father and then you know, as time went on things got better for me. So I never forgot where I came from to understand the struggle. And, and what that pain feels like, but that was my strength. But when I went to schools all over the country and I started to see what, like, what was really happening, and I realized that schools were so quick to neg negatively reinforce uh, this. Like, in other words, anytime a child did something wrong, they had everything measured in place to punish that child. The kids would either get expelled, suspended, jail time. That would seem like a given. So the minute that a kid got labeled doing something wrong, it was the beginning of the end for them. And I was very disgruntled by this system in, in America and, and through many parts of the world, actually. It's, it's since the Industrial Revolution that the system of education has been like this. That's what they do. That's how they deal with issues. And then I ended up, I uh, did a TV show with Deepak Chopra. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but I had done that show together with him and sharing with him, you know, what I've done worldwide or what, what I'm trying to do even more so. And I ended up 
dealing with a lot of the politics and the politicians and going into these debates, which was, you know, dealing with a lot of people with the kind of like the fake smile and the cold handshake. And uh, it was kind of frustrating, but I would call people out and say, look, you know, uh, they wanted to enforce the gun control law to stop these inner city kids from shooting each other. And I laughed at them and I said, none of that's going to work because these kids don't even have a feeling. I said, you go home to your cozy home, safe neighborhood while these kids go home in fear. I said, to the point where they have no feeling and they just will just pull the trigger so quickly because there's no love in their environment. It's like, it's only if they get in certain homes and they're not necessarily getting it in school. So I decided to figure out how to fix that problem. And as I went into these debates, I basically told this assemblywoman, I'm like, you want to enforce the gun control law in the state of New Jersey, it's a failure. It's a big waste of money and tax dollars. And I said, there's only one solution. And she's like, what's that? I says, we have to do the opposite. We have to, we have to mandate something for positive behavior to, to make sure that that positive behavior comes out of these kids, that they're doing things with their gifts and talents and things that they love so they can believe in themselves and have that self-love and, and perpetuate that into, their, into society. And we call it harmony power, where they get a certificate, they sing, they dance, they, they create music, they do artwork with themes of love, peace, happiness, all these positive themes. And uh, so they, we ended up doing that. So we established the first mandated anti-bullying program in U.S. history, like I said earlier, in Elizabeth, New Jersey, 28,000 kids. We see thousands of kids doing something positive, and it's in the report card as a permanent record. Now you have a different youth culture. And what does it cost to the city? Zero. I charge nothing. Because what I do is I'm the first domino, and I show I, the teachers want to spend time trying to um, punish the kids and, and write, you know, write all these negative things and, and have these, kid get, these kids get written up for the bad things they're doing, or they want to spend more time doing things that are positive and encouraging this positive behavior, there's a lot less effort in that direction, and they, and they save a lot of money on top of it. So it's a win-win, and the grades go up, so it affects the, the report cards as well. So it's just, it's such a win-win situation at the, no cost of the city. In fact, it saves money, uh, and, and, it, and it saves these kids' lives. So that's what I've learned. Volunteerism is where it's at. You know, we can sit there and every time there's an issue, they want to throw money at the issue. We need money. The charity needs money. Maybe if there's research and they might need tangible things that certain communities don't have. But most of what these kids, they need is the intangible. It costs nothing. It, it's, just, it's just a shift in thinking that if you, if you focus on recognizing positive behavior in mass volume, you're going to prevent mass bullying and mass shootings. That's the reality. So that's the solution to everything we see in the news. We have the solution and there's wow. no more excuses. Mm. What you said was so tedious. What you said Thank was you. so tedious. It, it reminded it reminded me. It was beautiful, but it reminded me of the hard work. It reminded me of getting a whole bunch of cables, <laughs> you know, audio cables that's mixed all in, compact, and then you got to unravel all those cables so you can use them. It's going to take hard work. Yeah. 
And that's why we got Dr. E, Dr. Kristen C. Epstein with us here tonight on the panel. Dr. E, what you got going on? What, what, what you doing? Talk about it. Tell us what you got going on currently. Absolutely. So I was really interested to hear everything that was just being talked about because the work that I do on a regular basis is working as an education consultant slash advocate for families who specifically have students with mental health needs that are facing challenges in the education setting. And I, I use a platform called the Neurodiverse Teacher to really talk about the impacts that we're currently seeing on youth mental health, specifically in the education setting. And and a lot of how that ties in with a lot of our youth who are also neurodiverse and, and how that is also contributing to some of the, the mental health factors. So as I was sitting here and listening to everything that was being said, it was very fascinating to me because I, I think to take what was just talked about just a step further is it's also a mental health piece. We have a mental health crisis that's happening, um, not just in our country, but, but worldwide, especially with our, our youth. It was something that was already there prior to the pandemic, and the pandemic has definitely exacerbated that and, and made it much worse. But part of the issue, and, and this is research that I've done, is that our educators just don't have the knowledge Set that we were just talking about to, to recognize some of these behaviors or some of these issues or, or to really get down to what the root cause of why some of these students are having certain behaviors, you know, what's going on in their home or their day-to-day -day life or the scenarios that they live in or, or what they're experiencing with their peer interactions, and then how those behaviors are really just a manifestation of their emotions and their feelings and they're not being able to express uh, what they're going through and then and teachers are seeing that and not being able to interpret that that's what's going on and then are either coming at it in a negative viewpoint or not coming at it in a positive way and that's starting to shut down our youth and they're feeling not heard, they're not feeling validated. So that's a lot of what I, I'm working on now and trying to help elevate is that idea of we've got to look at what mental health in the education setting looks like and how that's impacting our youth and setting them up for future success. Listen, what you said was so loaded, I feel like I'm in a gun range because it was so much ammunition in what you said. I need to open the panel up so we can go ahead and unpack this. So the panel was <laughs> open. Based off what everyone has said so far, what, what are the takeaways? What are the takeaways right now? I would love to respond what uh, she had just uh, said, which I you know, I thought was you know, quite profound. The mental health issue is definitely incredibly significant. Um, but the root cause of these mental health issues is either parental or peer bullying, period. If you go to uh, any prison and, they, and you research the background of all these prisoners, and I've known people, I've trained people that work in the prisons, all of that is from bullying, right? So if someone either verbally or physically are suppressing you, um, it creates bipolar, it creates um, narcissism, it creates all of these things that kids are experiencing at a young age and they grow into these either they're either they're uh, saved or, or they become criminals right so love is the cure for a lot of that it can really uh turn kids lives around and i in in my martial arts practice i've had dealt with people with every type of mental struggle um but the heart the way when somebody feels love it can really help them deal with anger issues and 
in all this instability, once they have a sense of self-belief and self-love, um, and they have certain basic tools where they're doing something that, where they're in their like divine purpose, and why they're here on this earth, and they're mm. doing something mm. that's it, that that's really where it's at. And uh, you you know because so love is love is still the key. Love is still the cure to whole thing. Love, love is still the key. To, it, it's still it's still the key. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Period. It's absolutely the key. I am a teacher of five and six year old kindergarten age children and a lot of them come in they are just all over the place they have no discipline you can tell that they you know they're putting their feet all over the furniture they their mouths are just all over the place and uh in about 30 to 90 days they understand what respect is they understand that i love you but you will respect this place. You will respect yourself. And I'm trying to teach them that you're better than whatever your situation is. Whatever it is, you're better than that. You're going to be better. And that's it. And everybody is like, oh, you know, you're so strict. You're so strict. Yeah, I'm very, very strict. I'm very strict. But they know I love them. I have a wall full of, I love you, Miss Taylor. I love you, Miss Taylor. All over my wall right now. This is every year. I'm one of the most strict disciplinarians in that school but I'm also one of the most respected if they're not learning it That's at home amazing. you gotta enforce it at school and we try so very hard to work with the parents and say listen this is what needs to happen and they do they know when you love them and when you don't they absolutely do and they know when you're on their love side is still the key. Mm-hmm. love is still the key Who, who's next who's next who, who wants to go next this is this is Dr. Scott, and I would like to chime in on this excellent conversation. I think we as educators and pillars of the community have to be very, very careful when um, we start diving into families. Uh, what I've learned in my experience is that our parents are sending to school the best they got, regardless if we think it's the best. They're giving us the best they got. And when we as educators, if you're in a school system or in a system of teaching scholars, we're giving those kiddos or we're trying to impart into them what we have. But at some point, we as educators are being depleted as well, and we still have our own families to impart in, impart into, but we're still giving all the love we can to our scholars that we see on a day-to-day basis so when I think about that charitable part I can think back to what started uh, my shoe ministry I had some kiddos come to school and uh, like one of our panelists said uh, about the bullying part it was me trying to be proactive because this particular kiddo had you know, tattered and torn shoes. The shoes were atrocious. And no day did the kiddo come to school with either a matching pair or a pair that fit or whatever. And one day I just took it upon myself to just ask him, is that the best you have, those shoes? And he said, well, this is all I got. And I, and I did the best I could with measuring. I made my own little makeshift. And I ran out that evening to get a pair of shoes for this kiddo. That next day when he came to class, his eyes lit up. 
And that was the beginning, ooh, I don't know how many years ago that was, but that was the beginning of my shoe ministry for my kiddos that would come to school with ratted and torn torn shoes. Like from the from day one. It wasn't like something that just sort of kinda occurred. But they came to school that way. And I always made sure that they had a pair of shoes. And that was my charitable giving. And at the end of the day, I know I get it. I hear it. I hear it. Oh, well, if you don't give it to me, I'm not going to give it to you, whatever. At the end of the day, we can't beat God giving. At least when you think you have, he will do you one better. So that part right there for me in charitable giving is I'm going to give nonstop. At the end of the day, it probably won't come back from the one I gave it to anyway. But it's going to be that moment that I needed something. Those are seeds that are planted. And so that's my take on charitable. But we also have to be very mindful of what we say about the families because they really are sending the school the best they got. Regardless of what we think of the family, they could totally be out to lunch. But they're giving us the best they have. And then we're trying to transform that when we have those kiddos with us. To, so that they conform more so to, to society. Yes. That was so powerful and beautiful. And you got me teary-eyed over here, and my nose is watery, and my eyes are watery. I'm, I'm just a mess right now. Let me, let me go back to Dr. E. Dr. E., what can educators do? What can educators do to monitor and demonstrate a role play being charitable toward others, especially during this post-COVID-19. Now, I say post-COVID-19, but we get a new variant every three months. Anyway, what can we do as educators? What's your thoughts? One of my main thoughts that, that kind of come to mind is we have to recognize as educators that the post-pandemic classroom is not the same as the pre-pandemic classroom. I think we were in this massive push to want to get back to what was a sense of normalcy when there really is no sense of normalcy anymore. It's, it's a new normal, not a going back to the way things were. Pandora's box has already been open. And I think we... we didn't take into account the, we were not very charitable, let's put it that way, towards teachers and towards students and what their personal needs were going to be and, and what what this new post-pandemic classroom was going to look like. So I think it's what educators can do is first, I think educators need to understand what their own needs and boundaries are. It's kind of that old adage, if you've got to put on your oxygen mask before you can help other people put on their oxygen mask. So I think educators right now, especially at this time, which after what I call the great teaching exodus of uh, 2022, is it's, it's time to reevaluate what are your needs, what are your boundaries to make sure that you are in a good place so that you can show up every day and be fully available to your students because our students are, are definitely in a bad place right now. They're not in a place where their mental health is solid, and we need to be able to monitor them. We need to be able to temperature check in on them, ask students how they're doing, help validate their feelings, and if anything, also provide a little bit of flexibility in what the classroom setting now looks looks like. Students got used to two years of being able to get a snack or get up and move or, you know, I can do my work while I'm sitting on a beanbag chair listening to music now. We've got to incorporate some of that, that flexibility back 
back into the classroom and make learning not just this sit in a row, raise your hand type of one size fits all, really open it up in some flexibility and, and meet different children's needs where they're at so there could be a love of learning. And I think if that happens, that's not only meeting their social emotional needs, but I think it's, it will help teachers and being able to meet their social emotional needs and really feel like they're creating this this classroom that essentially is a, ch- a charitable classroom because there's communication, there's boundary set, and, and it's really that, that two-way street of making sure that you're fostering an environment of growth and change and love. Lord, have mercy. You know, one word to describe all of what you said. And it starts with a C. And that word is community. Mm-hmm. Community. Absolutely. <sighs> mm. Y'all got me crying over here. Listen, let me... Buddy Thornton, I want to... What's your thoughts? Because I'm messed up already. We had not even... Look. <laughs> this, 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 this is beautiful. Um, buddy, what's your thoughts? From what you heard... So far, what's, what's your thoughts right now? Well, so far, everyone in the panel has exhibited an incredible amount of love for children. And one of the things about being charitable is if you don't embody the spirit of love, how can you give love to anybody else? That would be my biggest response to everything that's been said so far. Thank you for that, sir. John, you, I know you're going to mess me up again. That's all right. I'm ready for you, sir. Please. Bring it. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> what are some potential goals that organizations might campaign to be charitable toward others? That's my question for you. Well, for me, but, you know, what, what campaigning is, uh, you know, we have one major city that's undergone even during COVID, people were doing good things within their community just from their house. So it just shows what's possible. And, you know, this panel is really extraordinary. I, I, I got to tell you, it, was, it, it fills my heart to hear people who think like me doing what they do. I just have to say that before I share, you know, what I'm doing. I just absolutely, I'm, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply, I'm deeply humbled by your panel. Um, I will say this. Um, we have this one city that we've seen this transformation, even through COVID. And, and we have like these videos and these kids saying how, you know, this is a solution to, you know, these, the, the mass shootings and bullying that these children are speaking out now in the community. And I have it all in video, right? So we had it all produced to prove that this is working better than anything they've ever tried within a school system or school system because it's the whole city. Uh, and then Vegas is um, I should have an approval this week with 130,000 kids. And then in Florida, there's another place um, where there's a county with several cities, and uh, they're in the talks right now. That This has just happened today. So it's kind of moving very quickly, Harmony Power. And, I, and because it really represents a lot of what this, all these discussions are about, right? You know, uh, then it was one, you had one person talk about these, the, the, the tough love and having uh, these loving boundaries. Uh, and then we would talk, I heard somebody talk about how not to be critical with parents, like because parents are doing the best they know how. They, they only know what they were taught. But guess what? Whatever they learn is in school. 
because their kids are in school most of their waking hours. So whatever they can get out of that. So we don't make heart-centered education the priority. Then we will not have the love in these children's hearts and we will not have love in the world. We won't exist. Humanity will not exist without mandating what I'm talking about. And you can call it, we're calling it harmony power because that's what it is right now, but it doesn't matter what you call it. There's been teachers throughout history who have, within their classroom, have taken the time to acknowledge kids in profound ways. But it's never been the mainstream where we're mandating it. It's now the law that you have to do that. And that's, that's been my argument. Because how quickly we create laws when kids don't do what they're supposed to be doing, and it ruins them. It's like when you raise kids in, at home. If I spend, I have three kids, so if I spend my time, every time my child does something wrong, and I keep pointing at that, and I keep pointing at that, eventually they break that child down. But if I spend a lot more time finding things that are very specific as to what they're doing right, acknowledging that and giving that that verbal reward, that love, Right. I'll give you one example. This will, and I hope this brings tears to people's eyes. When I was in Vegas, I love meeting people. I'm in my, I take a, a car service and I'm talking to the driver, or I get out of the car and I'm talking to a stranger. This was a homeless person that I saw in Vegas, and and he came up asking for change. And I looked at him and I said, I don't have any change. And uh, and then I I said to him, Look, I have something I'd like to give you. And he looked up at me, he was sitting on the ground, and he says, what? I said, I'm going to give you a hug. And he stood up, and he hugged me, and I grabbed this stranger, and I'm hugging him really strong, and I whispered in his ear, I said, what happened to you? And he said to me, he said, I wanted to be a musician, nobody believed in me, and it didn't happen for me. And I hugged him, and I said, you have to love yourself. Can you get out there and you play that music? Because that's what you're born to do. Don't forget who you are and love yourself. And don't listen to what anyone doesn't believe in you. Stay away from them and just love you. You have to love you. He started crying in my arms. He picture a grown man crying because that's a child, right? That's a child that was fed that information. No questions about it. People didn't believe in him. So he didn't believe in himself enough to make his dream happen to where he's on the street. That's what causes mental illness. The absence of love creates mental illness, period. It's very rare that people are just born with that mental instability. It's created by the absence of love. And it's in all the books in some way. So we, as educators, make love the priority in all our actions, in every interaction with the child, just like the, the one panel, I don't remember everybody's name, please excuse me, but. The fact that they bought their child a pair of shoes is the most amazing thing. That child will remember that for as long as they live. It's the gestures, the power of these gestures, the power of our words changed everything. And it's remember as educators, we have that power. And then there was one person who talked about, we have to have our own self-love, the self-care in order to give that love. Every day I, tra I get up, I do my meditations, I do my training, I take care of me first. I put something healthy in my body and then I can get on with the day and love the world. You have to love you. So um, I gotta say as well to all of these, I learned from, I took different pieces of information from everybody here. So uh, you, you guys are just awesome. So those are my words. They are. 
<laughs> and your words are so impactful. And you know, you talked about ministry, and, and to to minister, you got to be an minister. And what I heard from you was times and seasons. You know, there, there's a time for everything, and seasons right. change. They they change. There's nothing you can do about it because seasons are cyclical. I want to go to Buddy Thornton yes. and I want to pull from him because I, I I can feel Buddy, I can feel you and you're probably crying in, on the inside right now and I, and I feel it because I know you so much I've traveled with you uh, across the country and I, I know you man you're my brother you're my brother uh, but before I do that, I want to thank the lovely Miss Nina Taylor, Dr. E, and Dr. I mean, and John, look, I'm giving you a, a doctoral title, and John uh, Marion. Uh, <laughs> hope I pronounced it correctly. Thank you. For what uh, yes, you have sir. given to the podcast. Buddy Thornton, um, I know this is a lot, but I know you can handle it. What is the benefit of being charitable toward others? We've heard the discussion so far, but I want you to break it down for us. What's the big, what's the big hoopla about being charitable in the first place? Why is it so important? Well, from the perspective of society as a whole, and being a positive social change agent pro, uh, means that God gave me a mission to always look at the social perspective, no matter what the topic is. Being charitable is a foundational component that is lacking, and we all know that it's lacking. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. But let's look at how it manifests when it is lacking, and then you'll see the importance of why it needs to be here. Without charitable inclusion, we have no community you can't have community if you can't really feel like you are your brother's keeper you really have to understand that there has to be some level of charity in your heart which means if there's no charity in your heart where does benevolence come from we see so much anger and so much discontent we see tons and tons of microaggressions between people and especially aimed at the minority groups in a, across the country and there's no reason for that to happen if everyone embodied some level of charity in their heart. And to have charity means that you really have to support other people. So if you have a mindset that you're going to support others, even if they don't do things that you think are going to be beneficial to you, how about beneficial to others? So we need to be support-oriented. We need to understand that being charitable means that we benefit others, even if it doesn't benefit us now, it's going to come full circle. And there's another part of charity that some people forget. We're a very competitive society, especially here in the West. And it's okay to be competitive. But when you're charitable, you understand that when you're within the lines, you need to compete. And I know John understands this very well. But when you're outside the lines which we saw manifesting in Vegas at their awards ceremonies, 
athletes who try to bash each other's heads in in the arena can love each other as brothers outside the lines. It's competition. They want to compete hard, but when they're outside the lines, they want everyone to see that the discipline and the long hours that they put in are only geared toward one thing, toward growing a greater and better society. There's no one more charitable than someone who competes really hard, but then when they step outside the lines, they understand that they have a gift and others don't have that gift, so they need to be charitable toward others. And it, it just goes full circle. You're charitable to others and then the love just comes back your way. So when I was writing my books, the first four books, I really focused on one thing that needed to be included in all of my thinking and will be included in all 12 of the books that I write in my Slippery Slope series. It's a modern version of the golden rule, which everybody knows. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. It's in the Bible. It's in a lot of other religions as well. But there's an addition that needs to be there for the modern manifestation and for it to work in a charitable way. Do unto others as you would do have done to you, regardless of what others choose to do. If they throw a microaggression your way, you have a choice. You can accept that they may have a bad day. They may be having some level of ignorance toward what they just said. They may have some kind of a problem, some kind of an issue that you are not aware of. You need to have it in your heart and in your soul to be charitable enough to accept that you either have two choices. You can either ignore it and accept it, or you can gently show them the errors of their way. But there's no excuse to ever get angry or manifest violence because someone did something that you felt shouldn't be done to you. The golden rule is powerful, but it's only powerful if it manifests in the correct way. That's the benefit of being charitable to others. If you can turn their anger and their stupidity and their microaggressions and what they do to manifest problems in society full circle around and turn it into a positive affect, all of society gains. That, that's what's the benefit of being charitable. This topic is so addictive to me. It's so addictive. For me, being charitable is a ministry. It's ministry. Uh, we're, we're, we're out of time, but before we go, let me, I want to pull Dr. Natasha Scott. I want to ask you a question. Why is being charitable toward others so detrimental, so crucial, so important, so vital? Why is it so vital to you? I heard about your well, shoe ministry. Well, why is it so vital? It's so vital. Um, it goes right back to what I said. You can't beat God giving. And if we are following those principles, and, you know, I know people believe the way they believe, but I choose to believe this way. As long as it's happening, it's like that continuum. I'm giving, but I'm also getting. And it'll be in the least expected instance where it's like oh shucks <laughs> that happened for me and you weren't even planning it to happen so for me it's doing what my bible tells me to do in that respect to not neglect the good and to share what i have so by me 
having that shoe ministry because it went on for a few years. That child was not the only child that I purchased shoes for. And it just became a thing where I was, I had a whole boatload of brand new shoes, not hand-me-downs, but brand new shoes for my kiddos who needed them the most. So as I give unto others, God is surely giving unto me. So however way that works out, that is how it works out. And for me, I've just always been a giver. It's very, very important to me. So um, I'm not stingy by any means, <laughs> by any means of the word. I just give, and I enjoy it. It makes me feel great. And um, I wish more people would do that without, be do without doing it begrudgingly or bringing it back up. I gave that to you, so you really? Mm. So for me, that's what I'm doing, and that's what I choose to do is follow what the Bible says for me to do in that area. So it's like, if I got it today, why tell you to come back tomorrow to get it if I got it today? I'm going to give it to you today. And that's it. That's it, Mr. Drone. That's that's my take on it, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> You better listen. We got uh just in the United States alone, we got we, we we're listening to in about forty eight states in the United States and about five hundred and eighty six cities and we're in about last time we checked, we're in about sixty seven countries around the world. What are your takeaways tonight? We wanna to leave the audience with who wants to go first? I'll jump I, in. I and I, the takeaway I want to leave the audience is what I've heard tonight is the power of love and connection and communication. And when you are charitable in the sense that you are people oriented and you can see beyond what maybe your own personal needs are, that you can see other people, not not just physically see them, but see them as who they are, where where they're trying to grow, how they're trying to develop, and you can step in and you can be a support person in that journey, then that is the difference in trying to be, t that. that's what charity is. That's that stepping in and helping and guiding is what's allowing that person to move on or level up within their life, and you get to be part of that while you're also building part of your life as well. Excellent. Who's next? I can say that um, charity is love in motion and that when we give, we give with no expectation of return. In other words, giving is receiving. So if we're in the, if we're giving because it feels good to give the love, then there's no effort. It becomes effortless because we just love doing that. And that's what I think that society hasn't figured out. Like that's, that's why we're born in this reality. When Jesus, what I don't have a claim to a particular faith, but I'm a Jesus lover and I'll say that. But I would say that he came here to this reality to show the world what love was. And all he did was give in all his actions and in his words. So that's what's profound. And I feel that if we live in that way, then we will be in that heaven that Jesus was talking about right here on earth. It is as simple as that. Beautiful, sir. Who's next? 
my mind, this is Nina, uh, just refers uh, back to there was a football player here in town who was heading down the wrong road, just getting in trouble all the time, was on the verge of heading to the juvenile prison or possibly the graveyard. And a coach reached out to him only because of his size and said that, you know, I think you'd be great at football. And he had never played in his life. And he was just telling some kids, some troubled kids, that because that one person reached out to him and cared about him and said, you know, why don't you come and see how you like football? We'd love to have you on the team. And him caring that much to try and pull him in like that just completely turned his life around. And I'd like to think that, you know, some of these kids who have whatever issues they had wrong with them who went and tried to hurt people in schools that you know if somebody maybe had reached out to them you know maybe it would have you know made a difference in their lives and and that's why i try to reach as many that i can in the short amount of time that i have with the kids to let them know that you know they are loved and and you can be anything that you want to be and that you're great regardless of what's going on in your home. Oh, this is a tearjerker. Who's next? My takeaway, um, this is Dr. Scott, that my, my takeaway from this evening based on our panelists and the things that they've had to say and share is do unto others as you have them do unto you. Um, it's it, it's very beneficial to do so and that's my my takeaway um it sounds like this is a this is like the ultimate act of of love if we say we love someone what are we doing to show it because love is an action yes so that's my biggest takeaway this evening i think the most important thing people need to remember is that you can wrap up everything that was said tonight by the concept of universal positive regard. Just care about other people. Love other people. The great commandment said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart and thy soul. It also said to love thy neighbor as you love yourself. So if you can't embody that, what are you doing? That's my takeaway. Facebook.